following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, everybody. Episode 889 of I Doubt It Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, talented, and indeed scholarly, Brittany Page. How does it feel, Jesse D., to be one year out from your cancer surgery? It is a full one year. It's wild, right? <laughs> it's wild that it's been a full year. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I'm not on Facebook as much anymore, so I don't see the on this day or the memories or whatever but the iphone does a pretty good job of reminding me of shit and Mm -hmm. that is one that popped up in in my for you photo thing or whatever yeah it makes little photo montages yeah and it was me checking into the hospital that morning Mm -hmm. to go in and have my colon cancer surgery yep which was successful it's very it it doesn't freak me out but it is a little bizarre for me, I think everybody just knows, mm-hmm. and I'll say, "Oh yeah, I had cancer last year and had surgery." And they're like, what? You what happened? Yeah. <laughs> and then people are like, "Oh, we haven't heard an update." I'm like, "I feel like I've done this a million times. I'm healthy. Everything's good. I'm getting ready actually this next week to go in and have a CT scan, and then the following week a another uh, endoscopy. I always say endoscopy." I think Is that that's not wrong. how you say it? I think, well, we've been watching ER. Oh. So I think Well, if I'm, they say it like that on ER. I think I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> endoscopy and colonoscopy for screening purposes. Yeah. Just to make sure it hasn't grown back or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have been getting periodic blood work in addition to that because they can test for some sort of level to determine if there's like a cancerous tumor in is your body. Is it CEA? Is think, that what it is? I think the that's test? right. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. But everything's good. Um, and again, it, it, this is just an opportunity, I guess, to to encourage everybody out there to go get screened. If you're of the age that's recommended, which is much younger now, it's not like 55 or 50 anymore. 45. 45 years old to go get screened. Mine wasn't normal screening. Mine was that I was super tired. I felt like I was like my, you know, when you stand up really quick and then you're, oh, shit, I'm dizzy. That was happening while we were walking around, like walking up hills and things. Mm-hmm. And so you convinced me to go to the doctor. That's when they found that I was anemic. Then why why are you anemic? You could be bleeding. Blah, 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 blah. Down the rabbit hole found out cancer. You know, I, I think of you every time I'm filling out a form. Like uh, I just went to the dentist and they ask you to check that giant list of boxes yeah. of anything you've ever had. You know what I used to do with that? Just like put an X through it? Yeah. D- draw an X in the no at the top box, draw an X in the no in the bottom box, and then draw a straight line through them. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I think of you because I wonder, have you had to put that you have had cancer on a form yet? Yeah. You Even have. at the dentist. Yeah. Yeah. And Any surgeries, they ask. Oh, okay. And so... Was that strange, like, to have to, I don't know, to officially be like, yeah, I've had cancer. I, 
Yeah, I mean, not so much anymore, but it certainly in the beginning was. Also, you know me, I'm I I I, I get like a perverse satisfaction out of making moments awkward. Uh huh. So like we're at parties, I'm like, oh yeah. I've, like the neighbors, even like right after the diagnosis, were like, "Hey, how are you today?" I'm like, "Well, I just found out I have cancer." <laughs> like, ugh, he really put he a damper on this party. Really went for it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it is certainly, especially when there's moments of like, I don't want to get all goofy, but like deep reflection, like where 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 I am in life, how are things going, man. And I still don't know whether to say I almost died or could have died. Mm-hmm. I lean toward could have died. I mean, what's the difference there? It almost feels more immediate, like like you were uh, that being rushed after- through the doors of an of <laughs> ER. <laughs> that night after surgery felt like a almost died, for sure. Yeah, you were in a lot of pain. Yeah, that was a rough time for you. So go get yourself screened. Don't fuck around. People get all weird. The prep is so bad with the colonoscopy, and I just don't know what to do. It's so... You have clear diarrhea for a night. Calm down. Well, it's also... It's funny because people hate the the liquid that they have to drink, apparently. And when they called to give you your instructions for your upcoming colonoscopy, apparently they're giving you a different prep. And it's not the gallon jug that you have to drink. It's like two packets of stuff. And you're like, no, I kind of just want the jug. I want to just drink the jug. It's just so easy. It's easy. (laughs) It's like there's no take two pills of Gas-X now and then take one Dolcalax and all the mix of the... I'm a dumb guy. Just make it super easy for me chug this gross juice you know it's like thick viscous crystal light is what it's like that sounds great it's terrible but it's also it's not whatever. it could save your life that's the yeah, important well, thing what does it matter weirded, people get weirded out about butt stuff too it's like oh you're gonna put a camera in my ass yeah they're gonna put a camera in your ass it's fine you're asleep <laughs> you're you're passed out. You wake up and you feel like, Ugh, I need to fart. And then you're done. And then you'll find out whether you have cancer or not. That is a perfect summary. Yeah, but if you're too freaked out about the butt stuff, then you might have cancer. And then, you know what? You could die. You've actually, we've we've received a lot of messages from people that will talk about someone that they know um, in their lives that knew something was wrong but refused to go to the doctor because they were uncomfortable yeah. with what was possibly going to happen and it's i mean come on yeah. you know something's wrong but you don't want them to investigate the you know the b-hole like just you, you gotta do it you gotta you gotta get <laughs> you in there gotta let them investigate the b-hole also they're used to <laughs> they're used to it they look at assholes all oh, day yeah. that's I what they do i can't imagine just that being your day is just filled with assholes. Yeah, and it's like the people that are, you know, maybe someone's afraid to go to the gynecologist because they feel insecure or something. Like, that's just their day. They're looking at yeah. vaginas all day long. Like, it's fine. It becomes very mundane, banal. Yes, even. yeah. It's just another body part. There's another asshole. <laughs> okay, so let's move <laughs> off of that topic and just briefly talk about... COVID and flu vaccines because we, more health. Yeah, I mean, just to encourage people to go and get your your COVID booster shot and your annual flu vaccine. We got them on the same day, one in each arm, and it actually wasn't too bad. I think maybe 
12 hours-ish later, I started feeling pretty bad. I I don't really remember now. Would you categorize it as really bad or just... Because I felt... I said pretty bad, I think. I I felt uh, comparatively to other times I've had the COVID booster, pretty great. I mean, I was a little little foggy, a little under the weather. Pretty pretty good. Yeah, I mean, just plan to maybe need to rest. Yeah. You know, you're not going to feel terrible, but you maybe just want to take it easy afterward. Also, and we do this every season when flu season comes around, uh, it's not necessarily for you. We used to be those people, I'll speak for myself, I used to be one of those people that was like, well, why am I going to get the flu shot if I end up getting the flu anyway? It's not necessarily for you not getting sick. It's so that you don't have something that you pass on to someone who's in a vulnerable medical situation who may die because they contracted the flu from you. Right. And the the efficacy of the flu vaccine varies because it's dependent upon the flu strains that are circulating within the population. And so every year it varies on how effective it is at um, battling the flu and protecting you from the flu. And this year it is more effective than in years previous. So this is a year to definitely yeah. get it if you you know have been one of those people that thinks you don't need it. It's actually pretty effective this year. Yeah. So, yeah. We're very happy. And also my arms were... Okay. Usually the flu shot just feels like I got hit with a lead pipe or something. This was uh, <laughs> this was okay. Good. So anyway, uh, go out there and get yourself taken care of, whether it be getting screened for for whatever maladies that are out there, but also flu shots and COVID boosters. All of that is important. Um, before we move on, we want to talk about our new Patreon supporters, and we would encourage you to help support the show, help produce this show on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Podcast and thank all of our newest Patreon supporters. We want to say thank you to Steve S. Steve S. Mark. Mark. Douglas J. Douglas J. Longtime listener, longtime supporter, Douglas J., Ray K. Ray K. David E. David E. Bob S. Bob S. Nick P. Nick P. And Carol. And Carol. (laughs) Did you do that on purpose or just ended that way? It just happened to roll out that way. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Thank you all for your your, um, loyalty to the show, to your listenership, to your commitment to supporting the work that we do that we feel is important, moving the conversation forward on an episode-by-episode basis. The other thing that we would ask is if you have a question, if you have a comment, if you want to contribute to this conversation... You, you can leave a voicemail at 657-464-7609. And, of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Now, speaking of that, we do have some listener communication. Let's go to Tommy in Wisconsin. Hey, baby birds. It's Tommy in Wisconsin. Um, been following your show for almost three years now. And forgive me, I don't get a chance to listen to every show, but I've listened to a lot. And go ahead and choose not to answer this question, and that is perfectly fine. But I know you both grew up in very right-wing Republican households, you know, hashtag raised by wolves. But uh, if you don't mind me asking, what was, like, I guess the final straw? which pushed you guys from being 
you know, indoctrinated right wingers or whatever you want to call it to, to becoming, you know, progressive to, you know, independent, whatever progressives, I guess. Um, yeah. If you want to answer that, that would be, I'd love to hear it. If you do want to decline to answer that, I completely understand. Thanks. That is a very respectful request to have us answer this question. Especially for an audience member calling in. Usually it's people who fucking demand and and I want to know. I deserve to know, in fact. Yeah. So thank you, Tommy, for that very kind way of phrasing it. I think we will answer the question, though, even though you gave us multiple opportunities to say, hey, no, we're not answering that question. So... Uh, for me, I have gotten better at answering this question because I do get asked it occasionally and I there there just is not a moment. And I think this question comes from a, a good place where people are trying to figure out, oh good, I have someone here that I can ask and try to figure out what's wrong with all these other people who are still stuck. And so how did this person get unstuck? And they want to know the moment because they want to know can I be someone who recreates that moment for other people? And you possibly can create a moment, but it may not be the moment. And I think that's the important thing about my story, which is that there are a lot of people that were in my life that created moments that helped me get to a place where I started questioning what I was told, what I was raised to believe, and eventually helped me escape. But there was no the moment that I can recognize as the turning point. I also want to say, I didn't really grow up in a Republican household. Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't phrase it like that. Like, your family was active in Republican Party politics. I was raised by white trash people who were not educated and so following the news or being active in politics wasn't really on their radar i i do remember meeting pat buchanan so maybe that (laughs) well that was i think that was that was uh animated by racial hatred and he was you know yeah in that crowd or at least supported by that crowd yeah, and so that was the primary driver. I mean, anything that they were politically active or politically involved in was related to racism. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily about anything else. And I mean that very literally. It wasn't about anything else, just racism. So uh, saying the Republican thing, I don't know, maybe it was easier for me to become a progressive um, when I started learning about politics in high school and when I learned about the differences between the Democrat Party and the Republican Party, it was a no-brainer for me because I was raised poor. And for me, there just seems to be one party who, even if they fail, often Democrats, they are at least attempting to help those who are downtrodden. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Tommy, my my answer is is it, again, it's it's similar to your it starts similar to yours relative to the fact that there was no inciting incident. There's not one single eureka moment where a light bulb goes off. It's like, oh shit, I'm on the wrong side. But there are a, there are a couple of things that really led me away, or to, to the perspective of of my family and parents and Republicans astray, and they deal with both lies and hypocrisy. So. Growing up, when you're told that the sky is yellow when it's actually blue, that trickle-down economics works, that the Southern strategy wasn't a thing, that the parties didn't have uh, an act, that they didn't switch based on a strategy of the Republican Party to appeal to racism 
uh, by to Southern whites uh, that the national debt was very important and we got to get spending under control. And then you know when you start looking at things from with with eyes open to to changing your mind about things, and you realize that every time Republicans in, are in office. They 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 rake they rack up national debt like crazy, whether that be Ronald Reagan, whether that be George W. Bush, whether that be Donald Trump, and then when they're out of power, then all oh, harumph, we have to take care of the spending. It's irresponsible. But then as soon as they get in office, they do the thing they hate. Um, the, the fact that trickle down economics was nothing but a a cash grab and a redistribution of wealth from the wealthy from from the poor and working class people to the wealthy, where in a, income inequality just spikes when Republicans are in control. These things are just facts. When you all you have to do is look at basic graphs. I'm a dum dum about math. It's not like you have to be a, a statistician or an uh, an um, economics have a doctorate. So that that's on the lie part of, part of things, but it's also the hypocrisy part of things. You know, I grew up being a, a respecter of the fourth amendment and search and seizure and property rights and liberty and all of these terms that are so talked about in republican circles like i when i watched watched cops as a kid it wasn't like raw raw cops it was what no you can't don't let him search i, I was I, I had animus i had disrespect for the the jackbooted armed agents of the state that were usurping rights, constitutional rights of citizens, even as a Republican, that was the case. And so, like seeing the Republican Party be the law and order party and not the protection of constitutional rights and liberties party was a a, a big a, a big uh, eye opener for me. Mm-hmm. So I've always been not always, but as an adult, I've been someone who was social justice oriented, even as a Republican. Racial justice, we're all the same. It wasn't like a colorblind look at things, but it was that person deserves the same rights as I do. It doesn't take away from my rights if two dudes or two girls or whatever get married. It, that's that's not taken away from my liberties. So when Republicans, their whole social agenda was a turnoff and you know again there's no inciting moment no eureka moment but it's certainly all of these things coming to fruition to change my mind and take the active step and then i guess if there was an inciting moment to become a democrat it absolutely was november 9th um, 27 2016 the day after donald trump won the election that i went from no party preference to democrat because it was time to pick teams. Yeah. Yeah. And this illustrates the juxtaposition because of that <laughs> rant that you just went on about the Republican <laughs> Party. Um, I just, I wasn't raised in the Republican Party. Yeah. So I feel like you have come out of it and you have a unique perspective on being able to criticize the Republican Party because that's what you were raised in. Yeah. You were steeped in that culture. And again, the culture I was steeped in was like going to Aryan Nations and right. learning that black people were inferior and that the Holocaust didn't happen. So like those were the priorities for my parents, not discussing political priorities and the way that the world should look other than white people should be in charge because they're better. Yeah. So uh, again, (laughs) which, which is, it still baffles me that that is what they try to pass off when it's just a bunch of toothless hillbillies 
acting like they're the master race. We're so much better than blacks and Mexicans and gays and Jews. And we're (laughs) just the worst, just the worst. Yeah. Well, and again, I mean, I will start telling stories that are just very normal for me because it's my life, you know, and I'll be like talking about like the, the Nazi brawls that would happen in the front yard in my neighborhood where like my mom, one time she fought one of the Nazis and a man and knocked him down and he got mad and he like stormed off. And I was like super proud of my mom because she like beat up this dude in the front yard. And, yeah. you know, it's like so Jesus. this is just ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous what was going on. But, yeah, you're you're right that they're just uneducated and don't understand how the r- world works, but think that they're better, you know. Yeah. So. In terms of coming out of that, I mean, again, the same thing. Like people, my teachers, counselors, all kinds of people intervening. And I'm so lucky for that. And and that's another reason I'm a little resistant to talk about what someone can do to replicate in terms of changing someone's mind. Because I, I was a kid, you know, and luckily people got to me when I was a kid. And mm-hmm. a lot of my changing happened then and it's not like once I turned 18, I wasn't still saying dumb things. There are definitely dumb things I continued to say after I turned 18. But a lot of the work had been undone already by that time. And so it's difficult for me to be like, well, here's how we can undo the damage of someone that is an adult and in a white supremacist, white power movement. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we also, we we chalk up, and I, I'm not speaking for Brittany, but I know this applies to you as well and how you think about it. We ascribe a lot of how we became who we became on luck, both the good and the bad sides of luck. That That's where we are. Why we are where we are is primarily because of luck. I mean, um, whatever success we found in the, in the jobs that we do, um, it's luck. And you can't strategize for that, not necessarily. So, yeah. Anyway, um, thank you for the question. Uh, do we have an email? We do not. We do not. We're going to move on. Uh, we would encourage you to uh, do like Tommy did. Call. Leave a voicemail. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo or just regular old-fashioned email to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Dollamocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So Republicans have been getting a taste of their own medicine recently with some of these hateful phone calls that are coming in. Now, the interesting thing is this was a pressure campaign that was launched by Jim Jordan when Jim Jordan was attempting to be Speaker of the House. Now, things are moving really fast, okay? because this happened. I mean, he was running for Speaker. There were three failed votes, and then he... In a, in a secret ballot in in their secret meeting they <laughs> decided that he was no longer the one and so he's no longer running and now they're going to have to go through this entire thing again next week where they put out names and they try to figure out who, who's going to be next and Jim Jordan issued this pressure campaign where he was encouraging his supporters to pressure people, members of the House, to vote for him. And if they weren't voting for him, then he encouraged people to call and yeah. pressure them. And now when you're dealing with Trump supporters, right. this is going to look a certain way. 
And it happened to take the form of death threats for other Republicans. A speaker has not been elected. In the second round, a speaker has not been elected. A second strike for Congressman Jim Jordan. The Honorable Jim Jordan of the state of Ohio has received 199. The Ohio Republican failed to reach a majority. So let's get a Republican speaker and get about the people's business. Four GOP lawmakers initially backed Jordan, but switched their votes Wednesday against him, including Iowa's Marionette Miller-Meeks. She said she's getting credible death threats and a barrage of threats calls, but will not bend to bullies. And New York's Nick LaLota, who hasn't backed Jordan, shared a threat he received, telling him to go F himself and die. Jordan has condemned all threats against colleagues, writing it's imperative that we come together. It's an embarrassment, and this is not what we should be dealing with. There's a growing push from both sides of the aisle to potentially expand the powers of interim Speaker Patrick McHenry so the House can resume legislative business. There is not consensus, uh, clearly, uh, on who uh, the next speaker should be. And so in the immediate, uh, we need to get back to work. We need to allow Patrick McHenry uh, to do the job uh, as Speaker Pro Tem with the authority uh, to govern. What do you say to those who feel that's just kicking the can down the road? We can't waste any more time. So <laughs> before we get to my favorite part of that clip, which I know because you laughed, um, <laughs> I want to briefly talk about Patrick McHenry is a strange guy. He doesn't want to be speaker. He doesn't want the job. And he also doesn't want it temporarily now. He's he's like pressuring them to figure this out because he doesn't think it's constitutional that he is yeah. unelected and acting as Speaker of the House. If you don't know who Patrick McHenry is, he's the guy, he's the little guy, I believe he was wearing a bow tie, yeah. who smashed the gavel down angry when Kevin McCarthy was ousted as Speaker. Yeah. So he's, you know, your, your run-of-the-mill mainstream Republican, still a radical but not a Jim Jordan, Matt Gates-style MAGA Republican. Obviously not power-hungry, either. Right. Yeah, he's actually maybe someone you want in power, except for he has terrible views. Right, so right. no, but like his his uh, disposition is one that you would want. But my favorite part of this clip is the way that <laughs> reporters handle things like death threats, because she said it in such a professional way to go F himself and die. <laughs> to go F himself and die. Oh my God. I love go it. Go F himself and die. <laughs> it's going to be a new drop. So thank you for that. And it reminds me of the death threats that we sometimes receive. Mm -hmm. And and we will oftentimes put them out there for public consumption, just so people know what it's like to be a person uh, thinking out loud on the internet, talking yeah. about politics online, and you you get death threats. It's, it's kind of a normal thing now. I know it's not normal, but it's so routine that it feels like a normal part of the job at this point. And people will always say, why are you guys putting this on on the air why don't you call the police right. and number one we wouldn't be telling people when we're calling the police right in fact you know there's currently an open investigation and we've been told not to talk about that specifically so we would never yeah, with both metropolitan dc police but also in coordination with the fbi yeah so we would never play something and then be like oh hey guys by the way there's an open investigation about right. this can you help with the investigation you know like we're we're gonna take care of it we we're going to take care of it. We definitely think about our heads getting hammered. That That's something that we get concerned about. I don't want to end up like Paul Pelosi wearing a hat all the time. 
to cover up whatever hammer wound I have. Yeah, we, we definitely were taking these things into consideration. Yes. So don't think we're just being flippant about it. But listen, you got to lean in and laugh, I guess, is what I'm trying to well, say. Also, there's a difference between credible threats and non-credible threats. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to go into detail about what we consider credible, but not every threat we get is credible. In fact, not every harassment that we get, which is way more than threats, sometimes we'll play harassment. People are like, why don't you call the cops about that? I'm like, because they didn't break the law. They're just being an asshole. There's no law against being a prick. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Speaking of pricks. That's a great segue. Yes. I called Chip Roy. I called myself the Segway Queen one time in a video. I think you are the Segway King. That was very good. So Manaraju, where Manaraju stands, we keep talking about that. He is a Hill reporter for CNN. And he was there after the closed door vote that officially removed Jim Jordan from being in the running for speaker. And as the Republicans were coming out, he started interviewing them. And I love how reporters are really just getting in there with the Republicans right now. Tenacious. Absolutely. Because Republicans keep, they keep trying to blame Democrats. Yeah. And you'll see in this clip that reporters right now, like Manu Raju, are just not letting that happen. The candidate now. Uh, you think I'm going to start positing that? I'll tell you what, I'll pick somebody I definitely don't want to be speaker, and I'll mention that name. Why, why is it so hard for the GOP to get their act together here? Look, I've, I've answered this before. Um, you can agree or you can disagree. Uh, we have Our Democratic colleagues will not work with us on a single thing to secure the border. Not one thing. In any- Shoot, you're the ones who can't get behind a candidate here. <laughs> no, no, hold on. So what we're doing is we're having a debate among the 221 who are willing to actually have a debate about the things our people care about. And some of that spills out in public. And you know what? It's a hell of a lot better than having a decision made by the Kremlin and foisted upon you. We are laying this all out in public view, and the American people can see it. It is the sausage getting made. It's the worst system except for, for all the others. You think now, this looks good? I mean, look, having the American people be able to see how we are we're wrestling with the tough decisions and what we're trying to do and doing it with intensity and doing it because we care about this country. And God bless all of these people who put their names forward. All of the stuff that we're wrestling with. Because it's a hell of a lot better than the way the rest of the world has always done it. God what is so great about this is one chip roy if you don't know is uh ted cruz's former chief of staff Mm. so he's in congress now but he is the worst of 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 the fucking worst and he's trying to act like this is we're just this is the way it always works all the time with all political parties every time you elect a speaker (laughs) that's just not the case kevin mccarthy 15 rounds of votes to become speaker then jim jordan not speaker steve scalise not speaker all of this is not normal it is not just the way things operate it's the best system we have it's the worst system except for all the others or whatever nonsense quote that he stole from someone there this is dysfunction and when he couldn't when he wasn't allowed to blame the democrats which is what he tried to do he pivoted to all that other nonsense about pulling back the curtain and letting all of America see our passion. It's fucking dysfunctional and it's chaos dipshit. Yeah, and it's fundamentally what they have brought on themselves yes. by amplifying the worst members of their party and refusing to rein in 
the MAGA Republicans. And so now you have given them so much power. You've given power to the election yeah. deniers. You've, I mean, two thirds of the Republican Party believes the election was stolen. So like voters, uh, people yeah. who vote. And when you have numbers like that, you're naturally going to have people like Jim Jordan, who before the third vote was taken in the House, uh, denied the election again. Yeah. He was asked, do you believe the election was stolen? And he said there were a lot of irregularities. <clears throat> he, he still is saying that the election was stolen. And even though he didn't become Speaker of the House, he still got a lot of votes yeah. from his Republican colleagues. Right. So they can try to act like, well, you know, this this was avoided. We didn't actually have Jim Jordan become Speaker of the House, but you still have a problem in your Republican Party. And sometimes they're able to admit it, like when Kevin McCarthy actually used the phrase that they are in a very bad position as a party. What history will look at, the crazy eights led by Gates, the amount of damage they have done to this party and to this country is insurmountable. I've never seen this amount of damage done to just a few people for their own personalities, for their own fear of what's going through. And really, um, it's astonishing to me. And um, we are in a very bad position as a party, one that has won the majority, one that America has entrusted us with, that a simple eight people have put us in this place. You know, I love the reporting on Kevin McCarthy that's coming out that he still has his name up as yeah. Speaker of the House and he still has his name up as Speaker of the House like on the actual government website. And there was some reporting on CNN that he actually that some people believe he was trying to undermine J uh, Jim Jordan because he wants to hang on to like having his name up as Speaker of the House. So who knows with Kevin McCarthy? I mean, at one time he's blaming the Democrats. At another time he's saying that the party is a mess. The Republican Party is a mess. So you just can't trust him fundamentally. I mean, yeah. obviously, but yeah. I wanted to say for clarification, sake, when he's talking about the crazy eights and this group of eight, he's talking about Andy Biggs, the guy who looks like the out-of-work magician from Arizona, Ken Buck of Colorado, Tim Burchett of Tennessee, uh, um... Did I say Andy Biggs? I meant Eli Crane is the out-of-work magician. Mm. Andy Biggs, also of Arizona. And then Matt Gates, Bob Good, and Nancy, Nancy Mace. Th those are the eight that he's talking about who spearheaded his removal as Speaker of the House. Mm -hmm. The other thing you've heard this week a lot is how wildly popular. He's the most popular member of Congress talking about Jim Jordan. I've heard this multiple times from many different people, and it really tells you the the all-out propaganda campaign that was put behind trying to get him elected because he's not popular with his colleagues. They have his number. They know who he is, that he's a radical do-nothing. I mean, 16 years in Congress, he's passed zero bills that tells you everything you need to know about what the priorities of Jim Jordan are. Yeah. Ugh. Well, you're sounding a lot like Senator Mitt Romney, Jesse. Ooh, I don't know if I like that. I know. We've been talking about it. I'm torn. You know, he has come out. He's he's not running for re-election, and that has freed him up to be openly critical about yeah. Donald Trump and the Republican Party at large. Of course, he's not going far enough, in my view, but... You know, I guess it's it's still good. You know, as, as long as you're not running, you're able to criticize the Republican Party and Donald Trump. That's great.
So this next clip is longer than a one that we would normally play. We try not to do over three minutes for the clips, but he's responding to a question. He sat down for an interview this week, and he's responding to a question specifically about reflecting on the end of his term and what he has learned about democracy uh, and and basically how things are going in this country as it stands now. And he, again, used this as an opportunity to criticize the Republican Party. Well, I, I think it's pretty clear that, that we're more divided as a nation than we've been in a long, long time. Uh, obviously, we were most divided during the Civil War, but we're highly divided now. And I think the, the reason for that is that our, our media has moved from a setting where, where there were editors and fact checkers uh, and where if you're a crackpot with a crazy theory of some kind, you're probably not going to get it published in, in any kind of a way that's going to get picked up by the public at large. Uh, because, you know, 20 years ago, people read newspapers and magazines and, and looked at the evening news. Those things were all carefully vetted uh, in, in most respects uh, by editors, fact checkers and so forth. That's gone. You guys are getting your news, certainly as I do now, by uh, going on, on, on my device. Uh, that's curated for me. Uh, and I'm seeing stories, many cases I agree with, some I don't agree with. But uh, oftentimes what I'm seeing in social media, there are no fact checkers, there are no editors. And if I have a really crazy crackpot theory, just absolutely, completely wild out there, I can put it out there and get millions of hits. I can get a lot of people seeing it. Well, that was not possible. And, and the people who are influencers, if you will, and have the biggest following are people who are angry and are pointing out the, the foibles in the other side. And uh, interestingly, we're drawn to those things as human beings. And, and so politicians have begun to reflect that, hey, if you want to get support, you want to get money for your campaign, your next campaign, the more outrageous thing you say, the more likely it is that you're going to have people following you. And so you have people increasingly coming to Washington whose objective in staying in office is to make noise, not to make law. Not to change things in a way that, that might be better for the country, but just to, to make a lot of noise and to show they're angry and fighting. I mean, right now, Jim Jordan, for instance, you've heard is running for Speaker of the House. Um, my former chief of staff sent me a message today and said, you know, it's interesting. Here's a guy who wants to be the Speaker of the House. Do you know how many bills he's passed that he's, that he's authored? None. And how many bills that he's, he's just been a sponsor on? By the way, you get to sign up to be a sponsor of a bill. All right. And so, you know, I'm on lots and lots of bills that I didn't write, but I'm a sponsor. None of the bills he sponsored has ever become law. So we're looking at electing a person who would be second in line to the presidency who's never passed a bill. But he's certainly well known because he's able to make a lot of noise. And uh, that's the currency of the realm these days in politics is finding a way to stand out and to be well known. And if, if I were to ask you the names of Congress people that you know, they'd almost all be people who don't actually do anything or pass any law, but they are very outspoken. And how does a democracy work? One, when the population is getting information that may or may not be accurate. And two, when the people that are most well known are those that aren't accomplishing things, but instead are, are performing. And so politics itself has become more of a performance art. I mean, President Trump, for instance, I mean, what is he good at? Uh, his background was performing. He was on TV. He was a WWF owner and, and uh, would go out there with the wrestlers and so forth. I mean, that's what he did. And that's what has given him the prominence 
that he's received. So, yeah, it's a very different environment than might have existed in the earlier days of our democracy. And it's kind of hard to understand where we're going to head, where we're going to go in that kind of setting. By the way, the Senate in part because we get elected over an entire state instead of a small district, we tend to be a little more bipartisan and a little more oriented towards getting things done, I believe, than than the House. Um, And certainly the president uh, typically is going to be more concerned about larger issues. But... uh, but our, our, the democratic process is very much uh, in, uh, in flux as a result of that changing dynamic. As he stuttered and stammered through getting to the word flux, I had it's in flux in my mind. I mean, he's giving examples that are slowly fading. Uh, first of all, the, the Senate has traditionally been the more deliberative body, the less radical, and uh, that's not so much the case anymore. You've got some radicals in the Senate. Uh, J.D. Vance, you've got that Mark Wayne Mullen or whatever his fucking name is from from Oklahoma. You do have some House-like figures in the Senate, and it is much to the the detriment of our democracy and to progress moving forward. Uh, A lot of this is, like he said, I mean, he nailed it. it. It is based on the Internet that now news is being delivered in an algorithmic way, where facts aren't prized people are getting their news from idiots like Stu peters you know radicals uh, who do find themselves they build large audiences i don't know how big his audience is a lot of people probably don't even know who he is but you know it's it's a problem and it's going to take a lot of people who are responsible i mean he did just say when well, the president usually is very blah 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 having just talked about donald trump it is in flux, and because of that, it means it's changing. It means we can also shift it back into a more workable situation. But it it's great that now that you're not running, you're starting to talk more openly, Mitt Romney. We appreciate it. Yeah, well, and that's the frustrating thing. I mean, because it's not as though Mitt Romney just discovered this about Donald Trump or about Jim Jordan or about any of the people that he's thinking of as he's talking about them and not naming them now. He knows who and what these people are, and he still endorsed Donald Trump the first time. Yeah, He accepted Donald Trump's in- endorsement of his campaign in 2018. 2018. Yeah. <laughs> and so he is part... He also rushed to, to Trump Tower to try to become Secretary of State under Donald Trump. Yeah, so he is part of the problem. And even now, failing to really name names and talk yeah. about, for example, the media organizations that are complicit in, in what he's referencing. Yeah. Newsmax, Fox News, the the outlets that are doing the things that he's talking about, he should name them. And he should go above and beyond just talking about Jim Jordan being a problem. He should name the other people that are there just to get attention, just to be loud, who aren't actually doing anything that benefits people. And I think it's important for all of us to kind of take a step back and think about who are the people that we like as politicians? Do we like them because they are loud and funny or interesting? Or do we like them because they're actually doing important things? And it's tough to follow, you know, what the politicians are actually doing, like what legislation they're actually working on. What are they actually doing? Yeah, for sure. But that is important to know and not just follow people for their personalities or their cool tweets, you know. And I'm I'm not low-key trying to 
shit on someone right now. Like I'm not thinking of AOC as I talk. I think AOC is good at everything. Yeah, she's good too. at being on social media. She's good at connecting with her audience. And she's also good at delivering for the people. So I, I just think it's important that we don't become like the other party. Yeah, I'm. Th- I took this almost as a challenge to myself to look into people that I admire and see if they are just in there for the clout and the clicks. You know, like I would assume that someone that I, I I admire very much, Jamie Raskin, is actually a hard fucking working guy who gets shit done, but also is eloquent and ends up in clips online because of the fact that he can communicate so well. But it is. It's a challenge to me, and I would expect it to be a challenge to the audience to start digging a little deeper and find out who's who. Yeah, and if we're doing challenges, let's add on... <laughs> <laughs> Let's add on diversifying your media consumption yeah. and ensuring that you are just you, you are supporting independent media. You are lifting up the voices of people that you do like. Um, we're, we're seeing Twitter crumble before our eyes. Mm-hmm. And that was such an important way for people to get their work out there. And so, you know, if you do follow someone who has a smaller YouTube channel or a smaller public profile amplify their voice and I'm not even just talking about us anyone that you feel like is doing important work it's important that you like it comment share tell a friend those are very important things to do because we don't have the power that those prominent news outlets have and also hold them accountable you know we've for a long time on I mean almost 10 years on this show given the phone number out and, and expected encouraged dissent and pushback on the things we say to you know there have been times where like our opinions shift over time because of uh influence from the audience information from the audience critique from the audience so all of that is good so it's not just hook line and sinker accept what you're told push back have a conversation because it's through that conversation that change is going to come absolutely so the other thing that is changing, segue. Wow. Is guilty please. <laughs> That's absolutely what's changing. In the case of election interference in Georgia, uh, this week, Sidney Powell pleaded guilty. Originally not guilty, but now guilty. Yeah, pleaded guilty. And, and then soon, very quickly, in fact, the next day, followed by Kenneth Cheese, bro. Also pleading guilty, taking a deal and agreeing to testify against Donald Trump and the uh, the def- the the defense in in the case. The second Trump lawyer to flip, pleading guilty today and receiving only probation for cooperating with prosecutors. Part of what makes Ken Chesbro's plea so damaging to the former president is that Chesbro has now admitted that one of the central parts of this scheme to reverse Trump's election loss was not some legal strategy, but in fact was a crime. Mr. Trump's legal team saying tonight that this plea was the result of the state's quote looming threat of prison time. And then there's some drama also in that Trump civil fraud case here in New York, and it's something that started with social media. That's right, and it's actually not as bad as it could have been for the former president. The judge in that case handing down a $5,000 fine tonight against Mr. Trump for posting a disparaging photo of the judge's law clerk. Now, he took one down from his social media site after the judge made him, but he kept one up on his campaign website for days. Mr. Trump's attorney saying it was all a big mistake, but the judge found it to be a 
violation of the order that he imposed weeks ago, warning that further violations could result in potential jail time, Tom. All right, Laura Jarrett for us tonight. Laura, great to see you. So bad news for Donald Trump all around. I am happy that he's being held accountable. I I think that the fine is obviously nothing in the scheme of things for Donald Symbolic Trump. Symbolic more than anything. Yeah, but it does show that he is not going to receive special treatment. And yeah. I think it's an important message for someone like Donald Trump in particular to receive that they're not going to get around this by saying, oh, sorry, we forgot about that or we didn't know that. Like, no, you don't get any more you don't get any more opportunities. Yeah. You need to do this right. Yeah, I'm I'm very what makes me uh excited, uh pleased, uh my spirits buoyed was was watching both the 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 sentencing not the sentencing hearing, the guilty pleas from Sidney Powell and Kenneth Cheese, bro. Um because especially in the Kenneth Cheese, bro, chess bro, cheese, bro, it's cheese, bro. Come on, bro. It's cheese, bro. Um, because he's pleading guilty and admitting to entering into a conspiracy with Donald Trump. He's saying, yes, this happened. I'm guilty of this. I did this. It was a crime. I am admitting to my part of it and my guilt for it. Entering into a conspiracy with Donald Trump to subvert the 2020 election in the state of Georgia in Fulton County. That. That is huge, and the, the, the ramification and the implications of this are far-reaching, not just for Georgia, but in also Jack Smith's case. So it's that this is an underreported, big-time fucking thing that's happening that we need to continue, and we will continue to follow. Yeah. Well, I know you're thinking there's so many important things going on. There's the Israel and Gaza conflict war. There is... Our government is unable to do anything without a Speaker of the House. But I want you to know, and I want you to be reassured, that Governor of Arkansas, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, is here. And she's here to focus on the important things because she issued an executive order this week to ban state agencies from using terms that she views as <laughs> sexist. And those phrases would include things like human milk, birth giver, chest feeding. And instead of those, state agencies will be required to use phrases like breast milk, birth mom, and breastfeeding. <laughs> Because this is very, very important. And it's so important, in fact, that she went on Sean Hannity's show to talk about it. Meanwhile, the left continues to push its radical woke agenda. But Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, she's fighting back as she is now set to sign an executive order banning woke anti-women words from state government use. She joins us now with more. Great to have you, Governor. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on tonight, Sean. All right, let's talk about that. Then I want to get your reaction to the president tonight. Yeah, the idea that we have this just absolute insanity. We are now living in a world where everything is crazy versus what's normal. And the left continues to push this woke agenda, basically trying to erase the differences of women versus men, ignoring all of science and biology and completely ignoring the fact that women have a unique perspective. Only women can actually give birth, no matter how many different ways they say it. That fact is completely based in science 
science and reality, and we are no longer going to allow them to redefine terms that weaken and, frankly, demean women here in state government documents and here in the state of Arkansas. I really can't Uh. imagine being a person who concerns yourself with this but of course she's only doing it because it's politically expedient and it's going to get her attention and she's going to go on Sean Hannity and everyone's going to love it but you know she's acting like there is some crisis of these phrases being used in state agencies and I think it's a local news outlet in Arkansas, 4029. They actually searched on Arkansas.gov. They looked for all of these phrases and they can only find one phrase. And that was human milk. And it was used on a document that was actually an instructional flyer for new mothers and a training module clarifying that human milk should not automatically be treated as a potentially infectious bodily fluid. So it's just referencing human milk as opposed to cow's milk which oftentimes toddlers and babies are fed via bottle and i just i heard you say (laughs) milk and it reminded me that i'm going to be getting a lot of messages about how i pronounce milk milk. but you also spell milk with an e so (laughs) no i I do not Um, listen let me say this very quick quickly it's all of the time that Sarah Huckabee Sanders and the government, the the, uh, the governor's office of Arkansas is spend, spending dealing with human milk and chest feeding and whatever other nonsense is time that they're not spending actually governing and making the lives of people from Arkansas better. It, it is, this is a dereliction of duty and going on Sean Hannity so he can talk about the radical woke agenda, everybody. Oh, we're here to, we're going to, we're going to, the radical woke agenda here on the Hannity Show. Ugh, just fucking gross. Well, and a report from the Arkansas Center of Health Improvement has Arkansas at 49th in women's and children's health. There are 45 pregnancy-related deaths per 100,000 births in Arkansas. So there are actual problems if you care about mothers, which is how she's apparently... Like she defines being a woman as someone who births a child, which is very strange. Um, but but I want to go back to this how how they they aren't actually using these banned words and phrases in any state references except for the it's a solution in 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 search of a problem. Yeah. So she was asked about that, like, hey, this these words aren't anywhere. Why are you acting like this is a problem? And she said, does it matter if there's one? Because they referenced, well, it's only in this reference and it has nothing to do with trans issues. And she says, does it matter if there's one? Is that enough? How many times should a woman have to be insulted before we stand up and say we've had it? It shouldn't even take one time. Aggressive feminist, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Yeah, again, as if people are actually, I mean, we don't. We don't know how often these phrases are being used. And honestly, I don't care. I don't care about it at all. Why would I waste my time worrying about this when there are far more important things to be talking about? This also goes back to Tommy's question earlier. And this is one of the things I'm talking about of the the hypocrisy that Republicans claim that they are the the, the party of family values, that they're they're, they're, they're the party of all of these virtues. Yet they're the party not of of women or standing up for women. They're the party of forcing birth upon women. They're the party of taking away women's bodily autonomy and healthcare choices between them and their doctors. 
That's who they are, and everything else is subterfuge. Everything else is a distraction. Everything else is lies and hypocrisy, which are the two main tenets that drew me away from the Republican Party. So again, thanks, Tommy. Good question. Yeah, I think Sarah <laughs> is just concerned about all of the scrutiny that she's receiving or about that $19,000 podium that she bought that like is cover for maybe vacation. Tri- yeah, trips that she's taking because <laughs> yeah. it also like coincided with her trying to ensure that her travel records would be private. Yeah. So, you know, typical shady behavior from elected Republican politicians. Once they get into power, it's great. Absolutely. We'd love to know what you think about this. Uh, you can call, leave us a voicemail, 657-464-7609. I keep trying to drop the other phone number. And you can email a voice memo from your smartphone or a regular old-fashioned email to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Taking care of biz. Home team. Home team in organization in Los Angeles that is led by psychiatrist Dr. Cheyenne Robb. And this is a great organization. I had no idea it existed, but we definitely need more of these types of teams. And what they do is they go out into the population and they look for people who are unhoused, who are experiencing severe mental illness, who are experiencing other issues that need to be addressed. And they find them a place to live and they also give them treatment at the same time. And these, again, are the types of people that we need all over the country. You're in a new place, new environment. It'll take some time. Okay. Mike told us he's 60, but he looks much older. Homelessness ages anyone. Got it. Easy. He has spent the last 20 years living outdoors, a gentle, troubled loner hiding in plain sight until now. His first day at this L.A. care facility. What do you think? Oh, not bad. Yeah. When's the last time you had a bed? Uh, I cannot remember. <laughs> that long? A long time ago, maybe, uh, I don't know, 15 years or something. 15 years. Wow. Mike's Lifeline, a program with L.A. County's Department of Mental Health called the Home Team. It flips the established treatment route on its head. Hey, you guys ready to huddle? Yeah, let's do it. Mark, you got the meds? Rather than wait for homeless patients to drift in, psychiatrists like Dr. Cheyenne Rabb hit the streets looking for people in need of help. Mike was introduced to me by uh, the home team outreach staff, and they noticed him in uh, kind of in, out in the distance, almost um, looking like he really needed some help. Almost like he was waiting for you to show up. Almost like he was waiting for us to show up. You have a nice little view. Rab says traditional mental health programs typically fail people struggling with homelessness. Okay. But what's your goal? If you're working with severe mental illness and you're working with chronic homelessness, treatment and, and housing need to be done simultaneously. Take this city's infamous Skid Row, east of downtown, a landmark of squalor since the late 19th century. Every once in a while, people in interim housing, they make um, they make a rapid turn. The, the, the bond with the team gets better. They start trusting us. Rab treats his street patients here or wherever they live, even those with no fixed address. People who are homeless can have 
physical health conditions, mental health conditions, psychosocial needs that if they're not regularly seen, they could be their needs could be neglected for a long time. So how persistent are you? Relentless. Uh, we are showing up every day because homelessness can result in an early death. Marla is another client who got help. A bit lost. Lost in living on L.A. streets the last five years. My self-worth wasn't that big. And I really didn't know who I was going to turn to. With help, Marla's moving into sheltered housing on the day we met her. A safe space. And it's all hers. I feel that new promises are going to happen down the road. Mike's found more than just hope with his improved living situation. So uh, we have a special visitor here For that you? wants to say hello. Dr. Rab tracked down Mike's estranged brother, Vikram. Vikram told us when he got that call, he thought Dr. Rab was going to tell him his brother Mike had died. Relieved to know he's... The city's homeless residents who are fighting mental illness can finally find help because now help finds them. For CBS Mornings, Mark Strassman, Los Angeles. So these stories are always a little lacking, I think, because... They're focusing on the individuals that are doing this work, and there wasn't really a broader conversation about other types of programs or policies that are like this that need to be funded, implemented in order to have success. And also, the, the, the general failure of the system that makes these types of programs necessary. I mean, the, oh, absolutely. the system was doing its job uh, in any with any efficacy whatsoever, this wouldn't be necessary. Right. And so you can have you can have organizations like this that are going out there and doing really important work and they absolutely should be supported. But as a country, we need to be supporting housing first policies yeah. and programs and heavily investing in them because because they work. It's evidence based to provide people with housing and then give them the support that they need in other ways, whether that be mental health or substance use. And so, you know, I mean, imagine being the first person that they talked to in this video. I think his name was Mike. And he said he hasn't slept in a bed for, you know, decades. I mean, imagine, imagine that. Imagine how difficult your life would be. And so I appreciate any story that really humanizes the experience. And I think if you haven't been homeless, if you haven't worked with the homeless population, that it's easy to be disconnected from the reality of how hard it is to live that life. And it's easy to separate your compassion or empathy and tell yourself that they chose it, they deserve it, something happened, they brought it on themselves, instead of what the reality is, which is that it could be any of us. It is strange to me that how quickly and easily people repeat that line that, well, a lot, look, I know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who bumped into somebody one time who talked to somebody who said they, they just wanted to be homeless. And that gets repeated as though it's fact when people don't want to be Of course, there may be one or two people. There are outliers. But on the whole, homeless people want homes. They want a place that's safe and secure and stable. They don't want to be shifting from sidewalk to sidewalk or or median to median, tent here, tent there. People want stability in their lives. And 
good on this organization, good on these people. These are selfless individuals doing good work. It is fantastic. Uh, but the system needs to change. We need a a fundamental structural change, not only in how we view these things and talk about these things, but in how our government runs and what, what the priorities we choose to fund are. Right. So home team taking care of biz, and hopefully we start to see <laughs> more of this widespread. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what do you think? We'd love to know. 657 464 7609. Of course, you can email or regular email to I doubt it at dollamore.com. We love and appreciate you. We would encourage you to look into supporting us if that is your thing. If you appreciate we, what we do, if we bring you value, uh, if you if your if your spirits are buoyed, I'll use the term again by moving the conversation forward on an episode by episode basis. We would encourage you to support what we do. Patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. And we will see you next time. Until then. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt. It.